Welcome to Higher Potential with Indeed. Indeed's new 2022 DNI report has just gone live. It's one of the most comprehensive studies into DNI issues in Australian workplaces. Click the link in this episode's description to get your free copy. A welcoming workplace is built from the ground up with attention to diversity, inclusion, accessibility, and openness. But the way many leaders and companies approach this is often full of grey areas, uncertainty, and quite possibly fear. High Potential with Indeed is here to help demystify the process through the most powerful channel possible, conversations. Groundbreaking ones too. I'm your new host, Cathy Ngo, diversity, equity, and inclusion changemaker and presenter. I've spent over a decade in HR, corporate affairs, and communications, but I'm most passionate about pushing the boundaries relating to diversity, equity, and inclusion. In this podcast series, we'll tackle the issues we face in the modern workplace, from diversity and inclusion to remote working, accessibility, fair hiring practices, and more. This podcast is an initiative of Indeed.com, the world's number one job site with over 250 million unique visitors every month from over 60 different countries. Before we dive in, I wish to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are meeting today and to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islanders who may be listening. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. Diversity and inclusion is becoming more of an integral part of our workplaces. In fact, Indeed's 2022 DNI report found that 81% of working age Australians say it's important their workplace supports diversity and inclusion. And 84% say when looking for a new job, it's important the organisation they apply to promotes diversity and inclusion for all staff. But what happens when an organisation's efforts to build a diverse and inclusive workforce inadvertently turns into positive discrimination? Positive discrimination, also often referred to as positive measures or special measures, is the act of offering someone advantages or opportunities because they belong to groups that are usually underrepresented or known to have been discriminated against. While taking positive measures may seem like a strategy to reduce the inequality some groups may be facing in the workplace, it may have the effect of doing more harm than good. In this episode, we break down what positive discrimination is in the workplace, how it can have a negative impact on your organisation, and how to create a diverse and inclusive workplace without being unfair or tokenistic. Our guest this week is Angus Laid, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion and Belonging Lead at Manpower Group Australia, a leading global workforce solutions company. Welcome, Angus. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. I'm so excited by this conversation because positive discrimination, what an oxymoron. So I'm really excited to to discuss this contentious topic. But to kick us off, Angus, it would be great to hear you expand on your role at Manpower Group. So what does your role involve on a daily basis? Look, on a daily basis, 
it jumps around a lot. Like anyone who works in diversity and inclusion knows, you're a bit of a jack of all trades. It's writing, delivering training one minute, data analysis the next, comms, campaigns. It's just sort of a bit of everything. But really at Manpower Group, I've only started in the last few months as the group lead for the DEIB agenda. And so I've been really in a deep analysis um, mode, doing a current state review of all things diversity and inclusion, equity and belonging at Manpower Group, talking to all of our people. I'm really lucky I've been able to travel around the country now that we've opened up and meet so many people, understand what the experience is like on the ground at Manpower Group, and then match that with you know as much data as we could pull together to really understand where the company's at now. So we're setting this foundation And then we're about to launch a new strategy, which is very exciting. So it's been a lot of of diagnosis and and strategy design at the moment, but getting into implementation now, which will be very exciting. Amazing. Is your role a newly created role or has there been something uh, there already? It's newly created. And so Manpower Group, it's this fantastic organization that is majority women. And we've managed to accelerate that all the way through leadership. So there's this really strong background narrative on diversity being mainly around women. And that's been a fantastic base point. But the company is now really investing in that holistic look at things. Most people start with gender. It's a pretty normal starting point. But now my role has been brought in to widen that And it's the first time we've really invested heavily in someone in the space specifically. Congratulations on the role. So I want to dig into positive discrimination a little bit more, given that it's the the topic of the episode. It's also referred to as positive measures or special measures, and it's a notoriously misunderstood concept in the diversity and inclusion space. So let's begin by clarifying some concepts. What are targets? Is it a good thing or a bad thing within an organization? I think that depends on who you ask, but targets for me in my book are fantastic. I think they get wrapped up in this polarizing conversation around positive discrimination as the erosion of merit. But in my opinion, targets are fantastic. All they do is focus our efforts on an identified business need. Businesses have targets for all sorts of things. We have market capitalization, growth targets, profit targets, utilization targets. And all that is a way for us to set what we want to achieve and then measure against it. They're fantastic to be able to do that. I think when we start looking at it through the lens of diversity, people get in all sorts. What does this mean and how are we going to achieve that? And I think that's the more interesting conversation because targets in themselves, they're just a, a, a point from which to measure. All of the work that sits behind them and how we achieve them is much more the interesting piece. But we sort of can't get to that because everyone gets wrapped up in reaction to targets without properly pausing and thinking about how we have targets all around us. Exactly. Yeah. But when it comes to diversity and inclusion, like for me, I'm all for targets because it helps us, you know, measure our progress. And we know what gets measured gets done. When you see organizations that have had targets in place, They're the ones that have accelerated their journey. And by the way, they're still thriving. These are still massive, successful organizations. Having a target on diversity hasn't, you know, tipped the world upside down or made the company crumble. It's made it stronger. Yes, I agree. There's a lot of confusion between terminology, so targets versus quotas. In your view, what are quotas? They always get lumped together and it's the most 
it can be the most infuriating conversation to have with people to try and just unpick that as the starting point when they get conflated. And so targets, they're internally set, right? We as an organization decide what our targets are going to be and we accept the accountability or responsibility for achieving them. They're hit or miss for us, but really we decide what the consequence is going to be if we don't hit a target. Quotas are legislated. They are written into law and they are enforced by an external body with the agency to be able to enforce them. And so that's the big difference. When we're talking about quotas, there's a whole lot more stick that comes with quotas and the accountability sits external to the organisation. The merit behind the idea is sort of the same. They're both trying to achieve the same outcome. It's just slightly different approaches in how much accountability we're putting on it. Whether or not they're a good or a bad thing, I think people have different opinions. In Australia, I don't think we're mature enough as a country to be able to lean into that conversation yet. There's many, many live conversations at the moment around diversity and representation and and sort of rights across the country that is still too much of a discussion for us to even be able to get to the point of thinking about legislating quotas. There's too much reaction to it. And there's not enough understood, I think, about the systemic issues that they're seeking to overcome. I think there's a big education journey for our society in general to go on before we can get to a a meaningful and balanced conversation around quotas. We're still grappling with targets which aren't enforceable. So I don't think we're quite there yet for quotas. Some countries and some areas of the world have done it better. Norway has had gender quotas for public boards since 2008. That's had a positive effect on the public boards in Norway, which is fantastic. Yeah, those Nordic Scandinavian countries are always rated as the the most wonderful places to live, wonderful places to work. But that said, there's been some meta-analysis done of those Norwegian examples. And what it's shown actually is that it hasn't shifted the dial on the conversation around gender equality. Like women's representation on boards hasn't transferred to the private sector. There aren't any quotas in the private sector and women are still really underrepresented in that area. So it really just creates change when it's enforceable. It doesn't properly shift the cultural dynamic. Some analysis was done that suggested it really didn't change that much in terms of creating a wider access to opportunity because the women who are accessing these opportunities, yes, incredible, yes, educated, yes, qualified, but came from that already privileged demographic of society where they've got access to familial influence, private school education, And so, yes, it's improving women's representation, but are we structurally shifting the dial on inequality? So do you see any correlation between positive measures and positive outcomes? So what effect or results can this have? Yeah, I think it's a great question and a very blanket answer of yes, but it depends on how we're defining success and how we're defining that outcome and what is the positive measure in place that is going to enable that. And so there's lots and lots of things that we can do throughout the employee life cycle to create, you know, a more equal access to opportunity. And in general, if we take targets, for example, we've seen that they've had really great success in a lot of organisations on driving the conversation, driving the commitment and creating the outcomes. But they are just that one mechanism to focus the effort. There's a whole lot of things that happen underneath them and happen in the background to achieve that change. 
And in general, yes, I think there is a positive correlation, but it depends on how you do it. And if you're not seeing a positive outcome, when we probably need to do things differently. And so it's all about just constantly checking and rechecking. Are we on the right path? Is this having the impact that we want it to have? Is it having a different impact? And gets back to our original point around the data, right? Something like targets can't exist without data. You cannot implement targets without first modeling what that looks like. And second of all, having the live analytics or at least point in time analytics to be able to report against, it's, it's irrelevant if we can't measure it because then we're exactly. just doing a lot of activity and not having mm. impact. Exactly. I remember an article quite recently, actually, was saying diversity and inclusion initiatives don't work. Well, they probably don't work because you're not, A, collecting the data, B, not really mm-hmm. measuring the, the progress. And I see it as any sort of change management process or project management. You've got to go through it and fine tune it. I was very lucky. When I first started in the space, it was our bread and butter. I've always been in diversity and inclusion. I've done it in a consulting capacity. And we'd go to clients who were saying, we need help with our DNI. We don't even know what to do. Where do, where do we start? And really, it's the bedrock of all of your organizational culture. It just sits at the foundation of it all, at the center of it all, because it's all to do with people. If you say you have a people priority, then that's all people. Yes, yes. So what are some of the common pitfalls to taking positive measures in the hiring process and also throughout the employment life cycle? Have you seen any? I think with this, it helps to split out the pitfalls at an organizational level. We've got to look at that risk appetite. And so if we're a really risk averse organization, there's probably not going to be a huge amount of appetite to take bold positive measures or bold positive actions. We might do something that says we encourage you to apply if you are from these underrepresented groups because we really value you. And that's a really valid intervention. CultureAmp, I think, have shown really great success in doing job ads like that. But then how you back that up through the process, a lot of organizations, it's either it's put in the too hard basket or it says, no, we'll expose ourselves to too much risk. Is this defensible positive action or is this going to leave us liable to a discrimination case? And so once you start stepping into really taking positive action at that org level, the amount of people that come into that decision-making process quite often and the sort of slow pace, snail's pace that you have to take to get everyone on board and get all your I's dotted and your T's crossed to make sure that it's on the money and we can measure it properly. I think that's one of the big pitfalls. And I think then once it all gets too hard, it just gets put in the too hard basket. And then if we look at the candidate experience, I've seen this so many times. An organization is out there speaking really positively about the work that they're doing in diversity and inclusion, which is great. And organizations should do that and we should celebrate it and we should make more of a public discourse about it. Then on the flip side, when we get diverse candidates coming through and they reach the end of the process and we say, yes, you're the best person, we'd love you to come on board, they get there. And then quite often I've heard people say, am I just the token hire or am I just... Am I the diversity hire? And it's like, no. <laughs> wow, they actually say that? Yeah, I used wow. to run You Can't Ask That session. So thank you, Kurt Docker at the ABC for producing a fantastic concept show. 
yeah, they'll come on board and say, am I just a diversity hire because there's a bunch of other people who don't look like me here. But there's this ingrained belief that the only reason you get the job is because of the diversity. And we haven't been able to dissect that idea that diversity doesn't equal meritoriousness. And the inherent assumption within all of this is that diverse people who get jobs get it because of positive action, not because they're the best person for the job. You can be both. But apparently there's this inherent assumption that you can't. And I think it still underpins a lot of the conversations around this topic generally. And so I think that's one of the pitfalls as well. So you have to balance your positive action and your positive messaging and then really reinforce that through your onboarding and then create a really strong experience throughout the entire employee life cycle. So there's an element of consistency that has to come with it because otherwise your candidates and your people might get that tokenist feeling and they won't see it being backed up in their day to day. Yeah, the organisations that seem to do well have really great comms. So with that scenario, was that an assessment centre? So with that candidate who said that they were the token candidate? So this person had made it through rigorous assessments. This was from a pool of like thousands of applicants that gets whittled down to about 200 graduates. And that was a graduate cohort for a previous employer. And we did uh, an onboarding program and I ran this You Can't Ask That session about diversity and inclusion because we wanted them to stimulate the conversation from day one about why we were as an organisation committed to, this, to diversity and inclusion. And one of the questions that came through anonymously was, am I the, just the diversity hire? How do I make sure that I'm not the token hire? And it came through in various like sort of forms multiple times from this one cohort of people. And I was really sad that we'd brought these people on who were exceptional candidates. And the questions they want to know is, am I the diversity hire? And it's like, oh, what kind of empowerment are we giving you if you're still coming in, not sure of yourself? And I think that also just talks to that systemic barriers to opportunities and why people hold themselves back and don't believe that they can access opportunity like this. It's so complex to be able to unpick that and to, and to tell someone that you are brilliant and we hired you because you're brilliant, not because of a target. And this is where you can also run into trouble again because people say, you do have a target. Am I just a part of that? Yeah, certainly uh, quite a challenging question to answer. But then equally, I am impressed by that question. And not to generalise here, but most of grads, I would say, a generation, say Generation Z, who are a lot more gutsy. They're a lot more bold. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. And I love that. It's great because I remember like years and years ago, at the start of my career, I would not dare to ask something like that. They were a gutsy group. That was the mild questions that were coming through to us. We, we told them to challenge us and stump us and they really went for it. But I've had similar sort of conversations. I told you I was traveling around the, the country recently talking to all the manpower group staff and I think there is this fear of saying it wrong or getting it wrong that holds people back. But on the flip side, there is so much appetite for learning. There is so much appetite to engage that some of the conversations we had were, were absolutely fantastic and people really pushing me and challenging me on, well, what are we going to do and how are we going to achieve this change and what does DEIB mean for Manpower Group? 
And pretty quickly, we had to formulate our narratives and our messages really strongly to be able to reiterate to people. But I think that appetite to have these conversations is growing. The safety to have them, I think, is is where we need to spend a bit more time working. Do you see a lot of employee backlash when there are positive measures in place? What are some of the things or pushbacks that you've seen? Ah, I think backlash is huge to anything diversity and inclusion generally, particularly when we start getting into the positive measures, positive discrimination sort of space. And people who are resistant are firmly believing that it's a zero-sum game. And I think that's the biggest challenge for people to overcome is that if we give access to opportunity over here, it removes my access to opportunity over here. And so trying to balance that for people and say, no, 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 you're still going to thrive and achieve and succeed. We're just going to grow our pool of talent. We're just going to expand the types of people that come and work for us and then expand our business. All of the business case behind DNI, it shows growth and it shows really strong performance. I think that's the biggest one that people struggle with of, of that zero sum game. And also, again, to what we were talking about previously, if we're doing diversity, we're not getting the best person for the job. We're just getting diversity and that inherent assumption that they're not the same, like you can't have diverse candidates who are the best is it's quite pervasive. And not many people realize that's the assumption that they're making through a lot of the comments that they say and and pulling that up for people helps to move them a little bit along that sort of spectrum of the conversation. And then you can't talk about backlash without talking about merit. And I think it was UN Women Australia years ago that came out with this quotient that said, merit is some combination of your past performance and your future potential. And so when we talk about merit, we're talking about someone's past performance, which is access to opportunities, really, which we know is not equal and isn't shared. And then we're talking about someone's future potential, which is a subjective evaluation of what someone thinks another person might be able to achieve in the future. And so we've got this measure of "Mm, you've had access to opportunity in the past and you seem like a good person to me. I think you'll do well, which is inherently bias as our objective measure of merit, but we still stand by it. It is still the most commonly cited piece of evidence in recruitment and in workplaces that it has to be meritorious and trying to flip people's ideas and views on that is really challenging. We believe that's the way that we should evaluate people. And if you suggest that we're going to hire diverse candidates, automatically, again, we assume that removes merit, which it doesn't. It's such a big, complex conversation. And there's so much dissonance for people between what they know is the right thing to do, which sort of diversity. I think in general, there's a lot of really great intent, but then that flying in the face of this decades and centuries long idea about what is considered qualifying and what is a qualified candidate, there's so much dissonance there that's really hard to overcome. And it requires huge conceptual changes of thinking and massive structural change to the way we look at staffing solutions generally. And so you can understand it a little bit. And I think that's the biggest challenge with backlash is When we work in this space and we're so passionate about it, we're having a conversation about positive discrimination and getting all sorts of excited. Not everyone does. And so you've got to meet them where they're at. And if you don't do that, 
you've lost already. We have to create that learning arc and we have to be patient, unfortunately, because we'd like to accelerate. We've got to bring people on the journey because then you run into all sorts of cultural challenges that, yeah, you might achieve your recruitment targets, but you're bringing diverse people into a cultural organization whose culture is, we didn't want you here, or we don't think you're meritorious, or you're not the best person for the job. And so you're setting people up for failure. And so you've got to take that macro view across the entire sort of org to understand, yeah, how we bring people on and then how we're setting them up for success. You've got to overcome the backlash. Exactly. So how can companies create diversity and inclusion programs that have true momentum without positive discrimination or positive measures in place? Without positive measures, I think it's tricky. And I don't think there's anything bad about them. I don't think we should shy away from that conversation because that is what's going to help accelerate change. If we're talking about programs that have bite and programs that have momentum, A lot of that comes from managing your narratives really well and having a really strong leadership commitment. And it starts from the very, very top. And it's less about the organizational position, but having that authentic personal leadership commitment, that authentic personal narrative, that's the piece that sets the tone. And that's what's going to cascade throughout the organization and make people buy in and continue to buy in transparency, authenticity, trust. It underpins everything. My approach is that you can't achieve momentum and sustainability without that leadership narrative and without that really closely managed narrative generally, plus data. We really need to back everything up in evidence. We have to diagnose cause, not just symptom. And then we have to treat cause, not just symptom. And so all of that has to come through with data. Amazing. Thank you, Angus. The final question, which is how we finish every episode of High Potential with Indeed, is what will it ultimately take to ensure a better and more inclusive workplace in the future? Ultimately, it's going to take a lot of humility, I think. A humility from a lot of people to understand that the way that we've thought about people, the way that we've thought about workplace doesn't match up with the current expectations globally. And that requires a huge amount of humility from everyone to look at themselves in the mirror and say, okay, am I right? Am I justified? Do I need to learn? Is there opportunity for me to grow and change and do things differently? It's confronting to do. We have to create that space. I think fundamentally that's sitting at the bottom of a lot of wide-scale change to enable a level of humility and vulnerability. Great answer, Angus. Thank you so much for joining us. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. It's been an absolute delight. Thank you for listening to Higher Potential with Indeed. Before you go and start building a better workplace, Don't forget to hit subscribe and leave a review if you found this podcast helpful. If you'd like to read our full DNI report, click the link in this episode's description and fill out the form. Just a quick note, the views and opinions expressed in this episode by the guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Indeed.
Additionally, the information in this episode does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all content we discuss is for general informational purposes only, and you should consult with a legal professional for any legal issues you may be experiencing.